for the first time and what I've been here since June so almost almost nine months for the first time in nine months I actually asked requested that Kevin play a specific song this morning and and that was it uh, what a friend we have in Jesus I asked him if he would perform that play that for us this morning uh, because that's going to be the focus of what my sermon is about and that's that's song, that hymn, is all about prayer. It's all about prayer, man. Did y'all pay attention to those lyrics? All of us know that song. Doesn't matter what church we were born into or have been, ex- or have been exposed to, all of us at some point have heard that song. There's one part of it, there's one portion of that that's always stuck out to me. And it's in the first or second verse, I can't remember, but it's what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer how true is that why is God the last source that we go to when we're suffering when we're in need etc or for whatever reason if we're joyous why is God always the last source what peace we forfeit what needless pain we bear simply because we don't go to God in prayer. Church, prayer is what we do. And I'm going to talk about a specific type of prayer today. I know that we went through a whole series, about four or five weeks worth, where we talked about how to pray basically on an individual level. This is going to be a little bit different. We're talking about how to pray on a communal level today. So that's going to be the object. That's going to be the source. That's going to be the theme of what you guys are going to hear. Because prayer, church, is what we do. Prayer is what we do. You know, I mentioned to you guys last week, I talked about the altar call last week and how, you know, I have kind of stressed these times of the altar call and the time of invitation here recently over the last several weeks. And I told you guys last week, you know, the altar call, the time of invitation is not an extension of the worship service. It's not an add-on. It's not an addition to the worship service. It's not something that, that we can either either do or that we can ignore. The altar call, the time of visitation, is the worship service. It's a part of the worship service. Similarly, prayer is not a part of something that we do. Prayer is not a part of something that we do. It's not an extension of what we do as the church. And when I use that word church, I'm using that on a communal level. I'm talking about us, not as individuals, but as the gathered body of Christ. Prayer is not part of what we do. Prayer is what we do. Prayer is the work of the church. It is the absolute foundation of everything. Everything. And if we're starting... Somewhere else besides going to God in prayer, we're starting at the wrong place. We're trying to get things done through our own human efforts. Prayer is the foundation of everything that we do, especially praying together as a community. Especially praying together as a community. Something we rarely, rarely, rarely see anymore. Without prayer, folks, we are just winging it. Whether we're talking about our individual lives or whether we're talking about our lives as Bemis United Methodist Church. If we're not grounding everything in prayer, if prayer is not the foundation of all we are, foundation, if 
Prayer is not the foundation of everything that we're doing, every ministry that we're doing. We're just winging it. And we're relying on our own human efforts to try to get stuff done. If we're trying to do ministry without prayer, we're relying on our human efforts. Need I remind you guys what Psalm 127 and verse 1 says? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And I'm talking about the work of Bemis United Methodist Church right now. Are we winging it? Or are we relying on the power, the authority, the ability of the Holy Spirit through prayer? Through prayer. Have we ever stopped to consider, folks, that maybe this is a major reason that our churches are failing and diminishing in our country? Have we ever stopped to possibly take that into consideration? Have we ever stopped to consider maybe the reason, one of the reasons our families, maybe one of the primary reasons our families, our communities are falling, our societies are falling apart is because the church is not praying. As God has plainly instructed us to do over and over and over and over again. Could it see, could it be, could these things be possibly because we're not seeking the face and the guidance of God in our churches of all places. In our churches of all places. I'm going to talk about something real quick. I'm going to mention something for about 60 seconds that I debated and debated on and debated on whether or not I should say this because I don't want to make anybody mad. And I don't want to go off in a direction that I shouldn't go off in. But I think what I'm about to say serves as, serves as a good example of what I'm talking about, church. I'm 46 years old. I turned 46 last week or the week before last. For the entirety of my life, as far back as I can remember, I, can, I remember us. And when I say us, I include me. I remember Christians beating our chest, publicly displaying our self-righteous indignation when it comes to the, to the subject of prayer in schools. Oh, the country's going to hell. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket because we're not making the kids pray in our schools. And we'd beat our chest and we'd, and we'd yell the high, at the heights of our lungs. Folks, we don't pray in our churches. You want to talk about hypocrisy. You want to talk about an embarrassment. When we're beating our chest out there in public on stuff like this, and we're not even praying it together in our churches. How many of us prayed it? How many of us, don't raise your hands, but I got to wonder, I got to wonder how many of us who are out there beating our chest on these things are praying with our wives and our husbands and our children in our homes. But we'll beat our chest on this stuff in the public square. Folks, we don't pray in our churches. We have thought, here's the thing, here's the point I'm trying to make. We've thought for decades now that if, hey, if we just get the right people in the public office, if we just pass the right laws, we'll get our country back on track. We'll get everybody back on track for God. Funny thing is about that idea, there is absolutely nowhere throughout the entirety of Scripture that points us in that direction. You will not find anywhere in the entirety of the Bible that tells us to climb in the bed with the government, to climb in bed with Caesar, and to spread Christianity through the strong arm of government. We're not called to outsource the work of the church to a third party. We're called to do the work of the church as given to us by Jesus Christ. And where does that begin? Prayer. I didn't hurt myself. 
I know you're concerned. Where does all that begin? It begins with prayer. The basics, 101, folks. You want to know, in my experience, in my experience as a pastor, in my experience as a, as a and I don't think there are any regular members, so to speak, but as a, as a member of a congregation, as non-clergy, in my experience, you want to know what the least attended church ministry is? And we don't have one here. We're going to talk about that later. Prayer meetings are the least attended, in my experience, church ministries that exist. I read a book this last week. This is a really, really good book. Uh, but one of the things the author states, he says, you know, if you want to know how popular, if you want to gauge how popular a church is, gauge that on the attendance that you see Sunday morning. If you want to see how popular the pastor or the evangelist is, base that on the attendance of Sunday night. If you want to know how popular Jesus is, base it on the attendance of a prayer meeting. He's absolutely right, folks. I've seen this time and time and time again. I know, I know a pastor that's near and dear to me had this experience in his church not too long ago during the pandemic. And this pastor's idea was, you know, we, we need to, even though we're not meeting, we need to pray together still. So this pastor opened up his sanctuary every morning, every morning for six months. Every morning for six months, that pastor went to the church, opened the doors of the sanctuary, turned the lights on, invited people to come and pray for one another, for their communities, for the nation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Six months that pastor was there, Monday through Friday, faithfully. Guess how many people showed up to pray with that pastor in a six-month period? Zero. Zero. And we want to complain about the sad state of society and our culture, and we don't even do the basics. Praying together. Praying together. So I'm going to ask you, Bemis, are we praying together, church? I don't mean just in our individual prayer lives. As, much, as important as that is, I'm not talking about our individual prayer lives today. Are we praying together as a community? Are we praying together as, as the New Testament Greek term, the ecclesia, the gathered body of Christ? Are we praying together as Jesus and as Scripture directs us to do? Are we praying for one another not just in our beds at night or when we wake up in the morning, as important as that is, are we praying for one another together? Are we praying for our brothers and our sisters at Bemis United Methodist Church? Are we praying for their spiritual nourishment? Are we praying for their mental needs, their emotional needs, their physical needs? Are we praying for the ministries of our church, like I mentioned ago? Are we seeking where God wants to take us, first and foremost? Or are we just grasping at straws? Are we interceding on the behalf of others? Are we interceding on behalf of our families, on behalf of your families? Are we interceding on behalf of our neighbors? And yes, are we interceding as a gathered community on the behalf of our communities, our nation that we claim to care so much about, and our world? Are we doing these things, church? Are we doing the basics? The basics. That scripture and that God himself tells us to do. Folks, this is the work of the church. This is the work of the church. And it's all grounded. It all starts with prayer. You know, we had our Ash Wednesday 
exactly a service, but or whatever you want to call it. This past week, and as we were wrapping up, um, I was talking to Chad and Danita afterwards, <clears throat> and I don't even know how we got on the how how we even got on the subject of this. Um, and I didn't tell them what I was going to be preaching on today. But during our conversation, I, I I told them I said something to the effect of, you know. I really wish sometimes God would just give me an easy message. And that's the truth. That's the truth, church. I really wish sometimes God would just give me an easy sermon to preach. You know, something with flowers and rainbows and make all you guys going home feeling all warm and tingly. It would be a lot easier for me sometimes. But that's not what God gives me. These aren't the types of messages that he gives me. And I've either got to follow God or, if I'm, or, or just bow out of the pulpit. So that's what I try to do. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even planning on preaching this subject this, this, this Sunday. Um, if y'all receive our weekly email newsletter, you know that I send that out most of the time on Sunday or Monday. And Generally, at the beginning of it, I'll let you guys know what the, sun, the scripture for next Sunday is going to be and what the theme is and that type of thing. So if y'all received it last week, y'all know what I'm talking about today is not anywhere remotely close to what I said I was going to be preaching on Sunday, but that's how God works. That's how God works. God changes my mind, man. He changes people's minds. My ways are not God's ways. That's the way He works. And the, when I plan things, sometimes He oftentimes changes them. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, God says in the book of Isaiah. So He changed my direction for this week, and I'm going with it. I don't have any doubt in my mind this is a message God gave me. And I don't, I don't claim to be, you know, I don't claim to hear the audible voice of God, but I believe he does speak to me in my mind and my heart. And I believe he gave me this because it's a burden. It's a burden that he's given me. It's a burden that I know that he's given me for quite some time. I've had this burden even before I came to, a long time before I came to Bemis United Methodist Church. And that burden is to see our churches start taking God seriously. Start taking scripture seriously. Start taking the directives that God gives us seriously. Start doing what God has told us to do in the basics of praying together as a community. Y'all, he placed that on my heart months, if not, if, not, if not into year, year or two ago. And it just continues to today. That's a biblical directive. We want to talk about the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible all the time. That is a biblical directive over and over and over and over and over again to pray together as a community. Take a look at our text real quick for today. It comes out of the book of Isaiah 2. It's chapter 56. And it's just a couple verses. Verses 6, Isaiah 56, 6 and verses 6 and 7. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. 
Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I'll read that to you out of the message translation. Maybe, it'll, maybe it paints a little bit of a clearer picture. The message puts it this way, And as for the outsiders who now follow me, working for me, loving my name, and wanting to be my servants, all who keep the Sabbath and don't defile it, holding fast to my covenant, I'll bring them into my holy mountain, and I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. They'll be welcome to worship the same as the insiders, to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to my altar. Yes, my house of worship will be known as a house of prayer for all people. What I want to point out to you without going into a whole lot of great detail, uh, I'll tell you what's going on here in the, uh, here in the scripture. So, so we're not all totally lost. As most of us probably know, though, Isaiah is a, is a book of prophecy. It's a prophetic book. So at the beginning of this scripture, starting in verse 6, what he is talking about is he's, he is looking forward to a time when God's people would extend beyond the people of Israel. So when he's referring, referring to foreigners, that's, who, that's what he's talking about. So through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, we're, he's prophesying about this time where where God's mercy and grace and, and, and forgiveness and God's church, big C, will be extended beyond the people, beyond the Hebrew people, the Israeli people. But what I want to point out to you is right there in verse 7. And that's the way that God himself describes his church. I want you to look at the way that God describes what his church is. God, through the prophet Isaiah... And he does it twice. Right there in verse 7, he does it twice. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. That's the descriptor, the definition that God gives of what his church is through the prophet. What does he say a couple lines down? My house will be called a house of prayer. For all nations. That's how God describes his church. He literally describes it as a house of prayer. I ask you again, church, how do we fit that descriptor? Are we a house of prayer? Are we joining together regularly as a gathered body of believers to cry out to God? Answer honestly. I'm going to give you a few more scriptures that point to this. A few more verses out of the Bible that point us to the importance of this scriptural directive that we have for this. In his instructions for public gathered worship. Now get this. In his instructions for public gathered worship the apostle Paul who I think knew a good deal about what it meant to operate a church gives Timothy these instructions okay on gathered worship he writes to Timothy he says I urge then first of all that petitions prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Did you guys see the intensity of that? 
Are, are we taking in the fullness of what he's writing there? Let me read it to you again. This is Paul, who knows a thing or two about operating a church, writing to Timothy on the subject, public gathered worship. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. First of all, I don't think that's in there on accident. I urge you, first of all, in your public, gathered worship environments to pray for people, to intercede for people, to offer thanksgiving to God. First of all, of first importance. Not the preaching, not the singing. First of all, pray together, intercede for one another. There's a reason he puts first of all in there, because it's important. Here's another example. To the church at Colossae, the, the Colossian church, he says, devote yourselves, again, talking about public worship, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and be thankful. To the Ephesian church, that's the church at Ephesus, he writes, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Church, you have heard me quote this next passage time and time again already since I've been here. But it's worth repeating because it illustrates one of the most powerful examples of public, gathered, communal worship and prayer that I am aware of throughout the Bible. James 5. 13 through 16, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. that you may be healed. Y'all think about the Lord's Prayer. We pray that together pretty frequently. Think about the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. It's not my Father who art in heaven. It's our Father. That indicates a communal prayer. It's not forgive me of my sins. It's forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sins against us. They're all communal pronouns. Communal prayer from Jesus himself. When they said, God, teach us, Jesus, teach us how to pray, he doesn't point to individual prayer. He points us to gathered communal prayer as the body of Christ. Y'all, there are so many instances of this in the book of Acts that I don't have time to go through them this morning where people are seen praying together and you see miraculous supernatural manifestations of God occurring I don't have time to do that this morning but I encourage you all to go back and look for it yourselves it's in there time and time and time and time again I told Kevin we're going we're gonna to run a little late this morning so I told you guys before that Sandy and, and Parker and I were part of a uh, Pentecostal 
<clears throat> denomination for a couple years before we came into the Methodist church. And I believe today, I believe with all my heart that God either, either put us there or he allowed us to be there for, for some very, very specific purposes. I think one of those purposes was to get a better understanding and a better grasp of, of the reality of, of who the Holy Spirit is and, 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 and the, the experiential nature uh, that we can all have with, with God through, through the Holy Spirit. Another thing, that, another reason I think that he led us there or that he allowed us to be there in that environment was to gain a greater appreciation and a greater understanding of the practice of genuine, authentic, heartfelt prayer, particularly within the context of the community. We, uh, one or the other of us, and Parker was pretty young back then, so we had to switch out, <clears throat> but one or the other of us would go regularly to their prayer, to the church's prayer meetings, which by memory serves me right, I think they had on, on Mondays. So one, of, one, of the, one or the other of us would go. And it was just unlike anything I've ever experienced, folks. I can't, I, I, I can't think of anything that, that matches it. You know, I, I encountered people, and I encountered a church atmosphere, gathered people who were, who were authentic in their prayer lives, who were transparent in their prayer lives. They were grounded in a deep faith, and they were grounded in a deep dependence on God. They were utterly transparent, and they were utterly vulnerable in the presence of God and in the presence of one another. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, and I hope you all don't think that I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. But I experienced stuff in those environments that I have never experienced, that I never experienced before or ever experienced since. I believe that we witnessed miracles occur in those environments whatever you want to call them, one way, shape, or form, I believe with all my heart. I cannot deny what my eyes have seen and my ears have heard. That's the power of gathered prayer, folks. That stuff didn't end in the book of Acts. That's the power of gathered prayer. Maybe there's a reason that God and Christ tell us to pray together. But that's the environment that I experienced. Now, understand, I'm not trying to turn Bemis United Methodist Church into a charismatic or a Pentecostal church. I want y'all to pray however you want to pray, however God leads you to pray, but in praying together for a community as a community is what I'm urging. I want us to begin engaging in prayer with one another, for one another, for our church, for our nation, for our world, all of those things. I have never been more convicted of anything in my life. I've never believed anything anymore in my life, and that is what God wants of his people. Simply seek him in faith and do what he asks of us to pray together. You know, yesterday we had our um, we did our little hot dogs and Jesus thing out here at the church. <clears throat> and uh, you know the crowd the crowd the the gathering, the crowd, you know, wasn't wasn't as large as it was the previous time, and that's okay. You know, you can't you can't gather you can't you can't gauge spiritual work on numbers. The, the metrics for gauging spiritual work are a lot different than they are in the secular world. But we had an opportunity to meet a lot of people. We had an opportunity to pray for a lot of people. I would like you guys at some point or another, when you get an opportunity, I would like you guys to pull my brother Rudy to the side at some point. And I would like y'all to ask him what he experienced yesterday when four different people came up to him and asked him for prayer. There's nothing like it. 
There's nothing like praying with and for another human being. And Rudy got to experience that yesterday. I got to experience it the time before a lot more. But he felt the power of God yesterday. I have no doubt about that. And God used him in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. That's what happens when Christians pray together, folks. It happens when Christians pray together. Yeah, we're still going to do communion. <laughs> Y'all, before becoming, before I came to Bemis, I, I was pastoring two churches, and um, I, I would just be remiss if I didn't mention these things to you. You know, and there, there were two occasions in the smaller church that I was pastoring where, again, you know, we prayed together, and I believe we worshiped firsthand the reality of a powerful Holy Spirit, the reality of a powerful, powerful God. I'm going to tell you about two instances real quick, and I'm going to try to wrap it up. <clears throat> One of those instances occurred with a lady in our church who had recurring cancer. And I can't remember I can't remember what type of cancer it was specifically, but she had gone to uh, her oncologist uh, that week and had told her that her cancer was back. Um, so she was supposed to go the following week for some more tests and and uh, some other, other follow-up, basically. <clears throat> but after we learned that her cancer had come back, we did exactly what I did, and I ain't got no, I, I ain't got a drop of power in the world, church. We did exactly what I did with, with Rudy and Darlene over here during our time of invitation a little while ago. We gathered around that woman, we anointed her head with oil, and a number of us surrounded her, we put our hands on her. She went to her doctor the next week, and she didn't have a drop of cancer in her body. Y'all can think I'm crazy all you want to. I think we experienced a miracle at that church. You'll never convince me otherwise. Simply because we did what God told us to do. Right there in the book of James that I quote time and time and time again. Another instance during the same church. <clears throat> during, the, um, during the pandemic, you know, we, we were trying to figure out ways to meet and everything. And at this time, we were meeting outside. It was hot. It was hot. Even though we were meeting under a <coughs> under a um, outdoor building with a roof, it was hot outside. And during the service, we had a lady, an older lady, just passed out. I don't know if it was from the heat or what it was. You remember this, Sammy? <coughs> but you could see her, and, and I, <laughs> I knew something was going on just because the look in her eye at some point. But I just I, I didn't know if she was praying or what it was. But anyway, she, she wound up just, boom, just falling out of her chair. And she was gone, dude. She was, I mean, she was out of it. There was, there was, there was nothing there. And, uh, of, course we called, of course, we called for ambulances. Well, well, no, actually, we didn't. We think we took her to the hospital because we so, this church was so far out in the country. It would have been quicker to do that. But as they were preparing to load her up, myself, Cindy, and, and others gathered around her. And we did the same thing. We did what God tells us to do. We put our hands on her. And we just prayed over her. And that was it. Took her to the hospital, and I think they told her, I know, they told her that she had, that she had a brain bleed. Later on, after she was released from the hospital, she said the only thing that she remembered about that incident was my hand being on her head and praying over her. Remember what she was diagnosed with, a brain bleed. The next day, they couldn't find a couldn't find any evidence of it whatsoever. She said, the only thing I remember about that incident, Jerry, was you praying for me and having your hand on me. Tell me that's not the power of God. 
You'll never convince me otherwise. I ain't got a drop of power in me, folks, but I do have faith in the Scripture. Just simply do what God tells us to do. You'll never convince me we didn't see miracles at those churches. The Bible tells us to go boldly before the throne of God. Church, are our prayers bold enough? We're going to start talking about the supernatural a little bit next week. I hope you guys are prepared. <clears throat> are our prayers bold enough, or are we wimpy in our prayers? Do we have the boldness to ask for healing from cancer and various diseases? Of course, everybody's going to die at some point. Even Lazarus died at some point. Do we believe that God has the power to heal people of that? I do. I don't pray. I've learned this, folks. I don't like people who pray, God, if it be in your will, Heavenly Father, please please heal them of this, whatever. I don't pray if it be in your will. I ask God to do it. To me, that's a sign of doubt when we're praying like that. God tells us to pray for people to be healed. I pray for them to be healed, whether it's emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, or whatever. Are we praying? Let's go back to what I started off with in the beginning. Are we praying for our country? Do we believe that God has the power to change people's hearts? Do we believe that God has the power to change societies? Do we believe that God has the power to change cultures? Are we praying for it? Together? Gathered as a community? Or are we trying to fix it through other means, like I said earlier? I think God can do it. Maybe, maybe just maybe, He'll do it if we do what He says. What a revelation. Hey, do what God tells me to do. He might actually say he's going to fix it. Do what he says he's going to do. It's not a big step, folks. Are we praying for these things? Are we gathering together to pray for these things? Or are we just hypocrites? The Bible says to pray and approach the throne of God with the expectation that God's going to answer our prayers. Matthew 7, 11, if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask, of the Father in my name he may give to you. Are we praying? Are we praying? Or are we seeking answers outside of God through our own will? 